making this a better world is when we're able to bring together those perspectives, we're able to hear and to understand what's happening in practice today, see the broader trends, understand what those levers are in policy and in practice that can get us to the outcomes that we want for our kids, for our communities, and for the country more broadly. I mean, it's a, it's like a, it's an ambitious mission and we don't always hit it. Like we don't always get there, but right. I, I think it is what we aspire to and at our best is, is what we're able to do. Absolutely. Hello, and welcome to the SRI Homeroom, a new podcast from SRI. This is a meeting place for some of the nation's most dedicated researchers, developers, data experts, and educators who are working to reduce barriers and improve outcomes for America's students and families. We'll be discussing the most persistent challenges facing today's educators and learners and the innovative solutions that are being designed and implemented right now to meet those challenges head on. Here on the SRI Homeroom, we believe the door to a better future should be open to everyone. And we're so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Corey Hamilton Biagas. And today for our first episode, I'm here with my friend, colleague, rock star researcher and Harvard lecturer, Todd Grindle. Welcome to the Homeroom, Todd. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for inviting me. Such a pleasure. So today we want to talk a little bit about SRI education itself, who we are, why we are, and the kinds of things that our team members are working on right now. So we've been talking about just the way in which SRI is really uniquely positioned as not the policy people, not the institution of higher education, but we have this really nice integration of people who have been trained in those spaces coming together to address these large problems and challenges that we're facing regularly in education. And these really unique, diverse perspectives help SRI, SRI education in particular, to be able to tackle some of these things in a way that other institutions and other organizations are unable to do. I think so. It's, I often, I, when I talk to students or um, other people in the field, they ask, so, you know, how is this different? How is this different from academia or working in, a, um, in an advocacy group? And one of the ways in which it is different is that, you know, for me as a researcher in academia, the expectation would be that I am the expert on some narrow bit of important information and that I go deep on that. Mm -hmm. um, in SRI, having expertise is important, right? It's important for us to know about what the research literature says and what's happening in policy. But in this kind of institution, we have to be a little more flexible um, yes. to follow what are the needs that we are hearing about in practice and in policy and to do our best to provide information to help people make decisions, make decisions mm -hmm. on a day-to-day on -day basis. And so for my work, as I started, you know, for a while, that meant I did work trying to understand 
the how to incentivize fruit and vegetable consumption among young children who received uh, supplemental nutrition and assistance benefits. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the you know, core part of what I did, but those were the needs at the time. And those are the needs I was being asked to help with. Right. What I do now is I, I think I've, I've been able to do a lot more of work where I work closely with the policymakers and help them provide information as their needs evolve. We've been doing this great set of projects um, with folks in Arkansas, the Department of Early Care and Education in Arkansas. And it started with, they had a set of questions about how do we reduce the use of suspension and expulsion in preschool programs? Mm. Um, and that often when we, I tell people about that, they're like, what do you mean? Kids don't get suspended and expelled. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, they yes. do. Oh, and they, they do, do at much higher rates. And there's a disproportionate rate of that same disproportionality that we observe in K through 12. We're seeing also at higher rates in that early learning setting, that early childhood setting. Absolutely. It is it is more common among children of color, more mm-hmm. common among male children mm-hmm. and among children with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, to their credit, the state of Arkansas looked at this and said, all right, we got to do something about this. <laughs> we, this, this. This can't stand. This is not good practice for kids. Nobody wants this outcome. Nobody wants kids expelled from preschool. And Three-year-olds expelled from preschool. That is right. We're not giving up on kids. We're not giving up right. on kids ever, but we are certainly not giving up on them when they are three, four years old. We're not going to do Yeah, when, when they just got potty trained. Right. Um, and <laughs> we need to keep helping them. I mean, development, you spend time with one three-year-old, you build one three-year-old, right? Like development right. is huge. It's on a huge yes. range. And what the folks in the state of Arkansas recognized is, well, if you are going to care for 10, 12, 15, three and four-year-olds, and they have that big range of development, that is not an easy job. That is not right. easy. And they are not, they're not suspending because they're bad people. They're suspended because they need help to understand how to do that better. Yes. So they brought us in to say, hey, we've got some ideas. We've got some things that we're trying. Can you help us understand, are those working? How might we make those better? Mm. Uh, So that project progressed and we learned some interesting things and provided them back to them and they helped to tweak their policy. But then as that went on, they said, you know what? As we look at our work now, One of the things we're wrestling with is that we see that our children in foster care in Arkansas are not enrolling in preschool programs at the rate we would expect them to. We will pay for it. We'll pay for them to do it. And we can see that this would be really valuable for children in foster care. Can you all help us understand what's going on there and help find Mm -hmm. solutions? And so coming back to like, so what is it that's different at a place like SRI? I didn't start that engagement with Arkansas with an expert in foster care. Right. I started with a spirit of, hey, let's work on this together. Let's understand this together. And when I need help, I'm going to call those academic experts to tell me, hey, I really don't understand the details of this. Can you help me better understand that? But our commitment is to follow these questions, to work within both the supports and the constraints within your community Within your policy context, things cost money and states don't always have all the money to do things, but we're going to help you make this better. And that for me has been much more like satisfying on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. than having a deep expertise in some 
form of child, you know, child development or policy and a long list of publications and things like that. That is really as yes. I got into this, because I came to this from practice. I was a teacher. I was a program leader. Um, that's been, it's just been satisfying for me. And it's the stuff that gets me excited uh, to come to work every day. Well, that's a question I usually ask at the end. So I'm glad that you answered it already. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, you've been talking a little bit about your work and the way that SRI is uniquely positioned to reduce barriers and optimize outcomes for children. And your work is more focused on early learning and special education. But what are some of the other areas that SRI education is filling in these gaps and serving as a intermediary, an innovator, a partner? What are the other areas that SRI education is making its mark in, in the United States? I think to understand what we do in SRI education, it's important to understand this institute that we're part of. Mm -hmm. uh, so SRI International, the, the, the larger institute, is been around for more than 75 years. Mm -hmm. We started as part of Stanford University and for some time now have been an independent institute. And we have this big mission within the institute that we're going to create world-changing solutions that make the world safer, healthier, and more productive. So we do that across biosciences and computer science and engineering. We do this whole range of things. And it's, that is like a pretty lofty mission. And you're like, yeah, change the world, make it safe. But they do, right? Mm -hmm. like the internet, the mouse, yeah. uh, Siri. And we do yeah. that in education as well. We just, it means something a little different. So I'll back up and say a little like, how, how did I get interested in SRI? Uh, which was as a, as a student who was interested in the experiences of children with disabilities, I came to know SRI's work really well. We established as a country, we established laws permitting students with disabilities to enroll in school back in the 70s and come around the 90s, realized we didn't really know what was happening now that we'd established these laws. SRI did the foundational studies looking at what, what are the actual experiences of children in school? What's the mm -hmm. variation in those experiences? And what does that mean for their outcomes into adulthood? And not just outcomes like, are they scoring well on the test? Do they have friends? Right. Are they integrated into their community? Mm -hmm. And we learned in SRI uh, through that work, these really important things that seem to matter for helping people with disabilities have the same access and opportunities as all kids. And that became part of the new, the reauthorization of that law and became part of policy. Mm. So we do that kind of thing now, ranging from issues for kids at birth all the way into post-secondary. We do it in a couple of different ways. Um, we do research where we have a set of questions that we want to go find some answers about. We do it through evaluation. So there's a program and we come alongside that program and we help understand, you know, does this work for whom and in what contexts mm -hmm. we do a lot of technical assistance and technical assistance. What does that even mean? Yeah. So <laughs> the laws and regulations that schools operate under are complicated. 
Mm-hmm. And the expectations of state and federal government, of the information that you're going to collect, what you're going to do in this type of situation, what do you do in this, this type of situation is not easy. Yeah. Um, so the federal government, recognizing this, provides support to policymakers, to teachers, to state agency officials on how to do all the things that they want them to do. So with our, for example, we run the Center for IDEA, IDEA is the Individuals with Disabilities uh, Education Act, Early Childhood Data Systems. It's called the DAISY Center. Mm-hmm. And in the DAISY Center, we are talking every day to the folks in state agencies who are responsible for implementing the Individuals with Disabilities Education mm. Act. And so we have expertise on well, what does the law say? What do the regulations say? And what does research say about what's going to help kids? Mm. So we do that in that space. We do similar work in the regional education lab, Appalachia, and that's more focused on K-12, where we're hearing from people within the Appalachian region about what are their needs of practice today? What are the things that they have questions about? If we only knew the answer to this, gosh, we think we could get better at serving our kids in the following ways. And so we'll provide a mix of research and technical assistance providing that information uh, to help them do their jobs better. Mm. There's one last thing. There's one last aspect of what we do that I think we don't talk about as much, but we also are involved in developing new solutions that can be helping to develop new curricula, mm-hmm. uh, new ways of teaching. Uh, I know my colleague, Crystal Thomas, is doing lots of work thinking about how do we support teachers and provide curricula for teachers in the mathematics space to have more culturally responsive mathematics curricula? And so mm-hmm. we're helping to tweak and, and to do those things. Um, we're also looking to develop tools that educators can use to improve their practice. So uh, my colleague, Naya Lazier has been working with our colleagues in the other parts of the Institute who do artificial intelligence and uh, analysis of video data to be able to track and measure the levels of collaboration between children in classrooms. And so we do all four of those things, research, evaluation, technical assistance, and development. But it's all focused on those questions of how do we improve access? How do we improve outcomes for students? So how are you able to do all of this work? You know, who are your partners? Who are, who are your clients? How are you kind of coming into this work? What are the entry points that you're using to provide this technical assistance, the research, the evaluation? I'm sure there's multiple pathways for entry. Yeah, it's a big mix. Um, mm-hmm. if- Part of it comes from contracts where okay. either state or federal government says, here, we've got this question. Can you go answer that for us and answer it for us, please, in exactly the way we want it answered uh, using these methods? And we say, OK, yeah, we'll go into that. Um, some of it comes through partnerships with commercial mm-hmm. entities where I think when we see a nice fit in terms of the mission of the entity, and it really speaks to the why questions that we ask ourselves Mm -hmm. about every project. Why are we doing this? Why is this worthwhile? Um, We'll partner with them. Um, We get grants from time to time. We'll apply Mm -hmm. for grants that do that. And then the Institute, because we are a research institute as a nonprofit research institute, 
we reinvest in internal research and development. I see. Um, so mm-hmm. I've had um, I've worked with our speech technology and research lab that does this fascinating work on speech recognition and parsing aspects of speech and using artificial intelligence to identify what people are talking about, how they're feeling. We've worked together using internal research and development money from the Institute to understand how those tools could be applied to support teachers. How could we take wow. that kind of information, provide it back to teachers in ways that can help them do their jobs better? And it's those sorts of things which are still like, they, they sort of start with, you know, they're like, what if questions? What if we did A, B, and C? Mm-hmm. Is that worthwhile? Is that going to help anybody? Where having that internal funding helps us to answer those questions. And sometimes the answer is, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But sometimes the answer is, oh, wow, we might actually build something here that is really useful. So now Mm -hmm. let's talk to the National Science Foundation or let's talk to the Department of Education. The uh, old line from Sesame Street, I wonder, what if, (laughs) let's try. Yeah. I like that, Corey. I think I'm going to bring that back into our into our meetings and our planning conversation. Yeah, it's like you answer those questions. If when you get to that what if part, you realize, oh, no, probably, then you don't go to let's try. Yeah. But if you uh, say, OK, well, there's a possibility here. Let's see what we can do. I wonder what if let's try. Absolutely. Wow. So that's such a, a special kind of magical space to be in, to be able to have access to the incredible research and innovations that are taking place within the Institute and to leverage that knowledge in trying to find solutions for the education setting. And then to also have the opportunity to partner with various entities, whether it be federal agencies, state agencies, or other commercial organizations. So that really makes me think that the SR education portfolio has to be beyond diverse because the funding streams, the the methods of innovation, the solutions you're trying to solve are scaled at all different levels, right? And so one of the things I'm curious about is if you wonder and you get to a good what if and you try and the solutions are working, then what does the future look like? For you, for SRI education, what would be like a, like a dream? Well, I think from a project perspective, we look to think about things that we can get into practice. So if we're successful, our ideas, our tools that we're developing are in the hands of teachers, are in the hands of parents, of students, and they're making the task of of learning and teaching more effective, more joyful, uh, and going deeper. Mm-hmm. One principle that has governed all of our technology work and that we come back to on every project when we're talking about education technology is we are not replacing the humans. Yes. It's not what we want to do. Right. Um, because education, learning, I, I, I subscribe to this model that Learning in schools happens at this intersection of content, teacher, and student. Mm -hmm. And you can't cut off one part of that triangle. 
the interpersonal is necessary. Yes. Humans mm -hmm. are critical to raising humans. Yes. But there are aspects. One of the things we're looking at is there are things that, that are uniquely human, these interpersonal things that are uniquely human about learning. And often teachers and parents as well are engaged in a lot of their time is engaged in tasks that aren't that uniquely interpersonal human part of learning. Mm -hmm. And what we look to do with our tools is to take those things that are time consuming or hassles and that keep you away from that connection. With, with young kids, we think about it as a, the serve and return between child and adult back and forth around mm -hmm. a given topic or content. Those things that keep you from doing that, let's see if we can reduce all the time you're spending on that and give you insights that you as the adult can bring to those interactions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's an intellectual volley, right? Yeah. And yeah. yeah, which is also strength building in a variety of ways, right? We're helping our, our young people to build that muscle and that intellectual volley between the adult and the child is an integral part of that brain building, that strength building, that exercise. And there's aspects of that that we do as humans that we do naturally. You watch, pick up a, what people across cultures, across communities, you pick up a baby and you are going to coo and talk to that baby, right? 99 out of 100 people are going to do that Not right. because somebody's taught them to do it because it is something about being a human and being with right. a baby. But there are ways that sustaining and going deeper on that serve and return interaction with children that are aided by instruction, that are aided by supports and insights that sometimes these technology tools can help us to produce. Mm -hmm. um, so I think getting back to your question of like, what's success? I think success is when we are able to strengthen, when we know, and, and at scale, we are able to strengthen that human to human connection. At scale. Say more about that. What does that mean when we're able to do this at scale? So the history of education research and innovation. Um, it's a lot of things that we can show to work in one narrow context. Yeah. And when we look to do them at a district level, when we look to go from the classroom to the district, from the district to the state, from the state to the country, uh, things often fall apart mm -hmm. because this is a wide and varied country with tremendous diversity in who the students are, who the teachers are, the context in which people live. So we look to our activities, and I think this is in line with what the federal government is looking for too, to go beyond these things that can just work in a lab. The things that can work across contexts can be useful in a rural community, in an urban community, um, are applicable in places where majority of students are learning English as a second language mm -hmm. um, rather than just English language contexts. Uh, and there's some real challenges in doing that. Um, and as I said, with some of our other work, like sometimes we don't get there, but that is what we push to and what we aspire to in this work. Yeah. And some of that too, for us in a researcher setting is about getting out of our own heads and in terms of, you know, what are we really trying to accomplish here? So are we so focused on ensuring that every single intervention is implemented exactly right so that it demonstrates the efficacy standards that we are hoping for? 
Or are we using the approach when we're scaling in particular of like impact? We really want this to be something A, people can use. And it's something that can be leveraged in multiple spaces, which means that as the researcher who's collecting the data and wants to know how our intervention is going, we may have to let some things go. Because in order for it to adapt in particular contexts, these ideas that we have that we created in our space, in our lab, in our conversations may not be applicable. And so there's this this ebb and flow, I feel like, between a researcher who's holding on really tightly to something they created and the scaling of that thing, which requires it to be more malleable and refined for particular contexts. Have you, have you come across that in your work at all? Gosh, all the time. <laughs> and, and it has led me and, uh, you know, the folks I work with to institute this discipline of asking ourselves, how might we be wrong here? What, you know, we think we found this, like, what? Let's, let's look at this again. Why, this, why might this not be true? I'll, I'll give you an example of one recently. So I mentioned we've done some of this work with our like, tremendously innovative colleagues in the speech technology and research lab. And we were interested in how we can use these tremendous tools, these innovative tools that their lab has on categorizing different aspects of speech to help teachers improve their practice. So we measured a range of things. We measured their question asking behavior. We measured their use of different types of praise. We measured their tone of voice and when they were excited or not excited. And then we went back and we looked at the data and we class, we had, you know, a handful of teachers who said, oh, okay, well, this group of teachers, these are the really good teachers based on our metrics. And these teachers are struggling. And then we said, well, why might we be wrong? And we looked and we found that all the teachers we classified as really good teachers were white. Wow. And all the teachers we had classified as struggling were teachers of color. Wow. And we realized that it is because the development of our indicators of what is good, what is good mm. practice, what is good mm. language interaction in this context, were so deeply informed by the perspectives that I bring to this as a white person and that the other people on the team brought to it, that what we were measuring was totally wrong. That what we were really capturing in what our measures of quality were measures of whiteness. So we went back to the drawing board. Wow. And we brought in new perspectives mm -hmm. uh, to help us deconstruct this and say, well, no, we don't want to measure the implementation of a particular cultural perspective. What we want to understand is what's good for kids. Right. Um, and so I think that's a way where if we are not asking ourselves that question of how might we be wrong? What does this look like at scale where we can create tools that are not just like unhelpful, but are bad, that are doing right. bad things. Right. Uh, Harmful. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to do that. We're not right, going to be right. uh, That experience of being able to catch ourselves in that, I think has been really helpful in informing not just my work when we're doing technology development, but when we're doing research and evaluation, how might we be wrong here? Not in the statistics. Like we're pretty good on those statistics. I know we're right. Right. But in the, like the fundamental ideas that we are bringing to this and the questions that we're asking, um, that is, I think, a space where we are, we're trying real hard 
And I think the field is as well, but we're not there. We need to keep stretching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do people stay connected with you and the work of SRI? How do we do that? Or is it important for people to do that? We will I think we want people to follow our work and to be engaged with us. I think we have so many wonderful projects and tools and resources that people can really benefit from. So if people want to connect, what are the best ways to connect? So we look to share our work in different ways that fit different audiences. So I mean with you. How do people connect with Todd? Grizzle? How do they connect with me? Yes, with oh. you. <laughs> so I love talking to people. Uh, just this morning, I was talking to somebody who was a student that is interested in SRI. And we talked for an hour about a million different things. I love talking to, to people and be they students or practitioners or other researchers. People can always, always email me. Okay. We'll put it in the show notes. And I post on Twitter, honestly, a lot less than I used to. I think a lot of other people, and that used to be a big place where I was sharing lots of our work. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a really nice website at SRI with information on our projects that's connected to specific staff. And so I'd invite people to, to go there as well. Um, we're also, we're always at conferences, both practitioner and research conferences. Uh, so invite folks to talk to me there, but email me, email me. I love to talk. We'll make sure that we include all the different ways to stay connected with Todd and SRI education in our show notes. Awesome. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you this morning, Todd. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much, Corey. <laughs> like, can I do it again next season? Right? This is fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Cool. And thank you all for listening to the SRI Homeroom brought to you by SRI Education, a division of SRI International. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the SRI Homeroom, produced by SRI Education, a division of SRI. Our guest today was Todd Grendel, co-director of the Center for Learning and Development with SRI Education and a lecturer at Harvard University. You can learn more about Todd and his work in today's show notes. You can find a transcript of today's show or browse our entire archive of episodes by visiting srieducationnews.org. You can also connect with us on social media with the links in today's show notes. The views expressed in today's podcast belong solely to the participants and do not represent the views of SRI or any organizational funder or partner. Mm-hmm.